This show is sponsored by Hulu Plus. Hulu Plus lets you binge on thousands of hit shows, including your favorite anime, anytime, anywhere, on your TV, PC, smartphone, or tablet. Support this podcast and get an extended free trial of Hulu Plus when you go to HuluPlus.com forward slash anime. That's HuluPlus.com forward slash anime. I sprint through the door, otherwise the spiders are going to attack me. That's because your house is like is like Disney's haunted mansion. That's true. My house <laughs> is like you have bats. You have I like have bats. you have bats. Japanese and, and weasels people, running through the that's floors. Right. Weasels yeah. in the walls. People have died. <laughs> yeah, people have died in your house. There's a you, you have a demonic cat that that's, will kill you on right. sight. Yes, possessed. and you have spiders. Yes, and spiders. listen to the song Crowds from the anime Gotcha Man Crowds by the artist White Ash. This is episode 194 of the Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast where our sole mission is what boys? To make your anime addiction worse. I couldn't have said it better myself. Hey Cram. Us. Us. I can't say that girl. I'm joined by Mitsugi, the ever buff man person actually meets to get hurt his shoulder this week so i'm feeling a little not buff you've been you've been screaming all morning my friend it's because it really hurts a lot well that's what happens when you jump up on pull-up bars with like 50 pound weights attached to your waist that's that is exactly what happened (laughs) it is exactly what happened i know that's what makes it crazy all right and the ever the ever beautiful hi the ever bald, ever shining. Hey guys, Napa. I'm still hungover from last week. Oh my, oh my what, what, god! What? 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 <laughs> oh, that was a bad idea. Woo, day drinking. No, I actually, I actually tweeted about that. Uh, if you drink in the morning, you will get hungover in the afternoon. That's how that works. So, yeah. Speaking of the uh, of the drinking episode, if you missed the drinking episode, here are a couple highlights. Oh god. Here are a couple of gems of what you may have missed. So. Uh, Brace yourselves. Like a fantastic movie. It's just that my arms are tingly, and when I move them, I like it. 
to say it looks like crap would really be an insult to some fantastic shits that I've had before that I would much prefer to look at in the toilet than this anime. Wow, Chiaki. In my defense, that anime was really bad. It was really ugly. What do you have to say for yourself exactly? I have no regrets. Someone out there right now is making like a drop <laughs> of all these random horrible things Chiaki said on the on the drinking episode. Just, just loop them in, in YouTube videos. You know yeah. what? I'm going to put a blog post on our site that's Chiaki ringtones. Oh, that's, that a, way, that's an amazing idea. That way when your phone rings, you can just hear, my arms are tingly and I like it when I move them. So I wasn't here for the first drinking episode, but Astrophysics says that, that we handled ourselves better than I guess you guys did. Did, did, you, did you puke the no, first time? No, I've never puked Astrophysics says you puked. I didn't puke. All right. Didn't puke. Anyways, you can find us at aaapodcast.com. That was a great first impression. <laughs> iTunes, don't forget to drop us a rating on iTunes, especially if you like us. It makes our weeks and a puppy get finds its home. Facebook.com forward slash anime addicts anonymous podcast and twitter.com forward slash AAA podcast, or you can search for us at symbol AAA podcast. Or when we broadcast live every 9.30 p.m. EST on Saturday nights on Ustream.tv. But if you can remember, aaapodcast.com, you can find links to all of those wonderful places. New forum members, welcome. Father of Ronin, Keeper, Weepy Sweet Monty, Slow Clap. Oh, I'm taking Slow Clap. I'm going to take Kepper because I think that's how you pronounce that name. Okay. Slow, slow clap. I'm going to I'm going to take uh Weepy Sweet Monty because Sweet Monty sounds so dirty. Oh, and Kepper's in the chat, so welcome. Trivia. Sure, Trivia. Kepper, Kepper sounds like leper. So for the first time in almost a year, no one got the trivia correct. Means you told me to make it painfully hard. I mean, I'm I am flabbergasted. The answer was Hataraku Mao-sama. It is a scene in that anime where the girl has her hair up. Yay. Um, okay, I'm, I'm, I must apologize to Chiaki. Sir Keeper from the chat has, has correct, corrected me and said that it is indeed pronounced Keeper. So. Oh. Okay. Uh, the month win winner was Green Tango. Congratulations, Green Tango. And our new theme is superpowers i want you to name the superpower or name the special move i mean they're basically superpowers but whatever you want to call it name the special move in the picture so don't name the anime don't name the character doing it name the move do lightsaber erections from cool devices count as superpowers are you I referring to the hentai so. cool devices Yes, I believe wow. that's the only one cool devices. <laughs> Although I don't have any lightsaber <laughs> erection. No, pictures. no, I'm actually talking about the uh, the the hard cop drama cool devices with lightsaber erections. <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> Did anyone see my figure? I was figure playing with of the it earlier. Day. It's so cool! Oh my god! It's a little. Spin. It's a little uh, kiki. It's a little kiki that balances on a on a tornado. She's looking kind of <laughs> like a hoe, <laughs> kiki. Had we had some theories as to what the tornado <laughs> was. We had some really gross theories, <laughs> pre-show pre gross theories about I, what, in fact, this tornado might be. It's like she's farting ice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
It's time for an almighty anime mailbag. Mailbag, bag, 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 bag. Thank you for the assist, Mitsuki. So, or the AAA mailbag. That's really clever, huh? So if you want to submit a mailbag, you can go to www.aaapodcast.com and click on the tab called mailbag. Now you can interrupt me, Mitsugi. Okay, thank you. So, since this first mailbag question is directly written to me, I think I will answer it or read it, I guess. The scariest umbrella <laughs> was apparently very fascinated by an umbrella story I did not tell some months ago. The question writes, hey Mitsugi, you keep teasing your umbrella story. Why not just tell it? <laughs> Do well, I know this story? I don't think Do you so. you have an umbrella story? I don't, this, I don't know what they're talking about. Every umbrella story I've ever had has been about umbrellas turning inside out and being ripped to shreds like in an instant so the first time that happened it was in florida where a hurricane hurricane winds just annihilated an umbrella that i was for some idiotic reason carrying but i think this story is referring to an instance when i was on odaiba island with a friend of mine not too long ago and it was one of those really crappy like like five dollar plastic see-through umbrellas and uh-huh. it just it just turned that thing inside out and just bent like all the metal to hell. And I just just like well, those, well those there it are, is. Those things are are designed to turn inside out comically. Well, this thing was away. this thing was <laughs> annihilated. So that that's the story. It's not very good. Sorry. Ooh, yay. I'm also gonna read the second one because if I if I let Chiaki read it, it will be destroyed. <laughs> As she on. looks at me un- un- disapprovingly. <laughs> Nick B writes, "Hey guys." <laughs> I love your show and hope you can help me with my dilemma. After being together for almost three years, my girlfriend has just recently taken an interest in my love for anime and manga. Congratulations on both accounts. After looking through my collection, she chose Death Note as her first ever anime. Long story short, she has fallen in love with the series, which is great, but also my problem. Since finishing Death Note, she hasn't found a single anime she likes. She's been very particular in her search, wanting something with a semi-dark tone and a plot involving moral struggles. Well, it's perfect for this episode, a la Death Note. The series must be dubbed. Oh, Lord. Um, it seems silly to me, but it's, I guess it's part of being new to anime. Please help me, guys. I think we're probably going to touch on some recommendations today in our main topic. Yes, very, yes, very true. I can, I can easily just roll off a couple that have a... That, Animes that have a dark moral tone to them. Go for it. Let's say uh, now and then, here and there. Hibane Renmei. Monster. Mm. Monster. Serial Experiments Lane. Shinsei Kaiori. Oh wait, I'm reviewing that today. Techno Lies. Ergo Proxy. See the thing that I the thing that I would have to ask though: Does your girlfriend really like the moral issues, or does she just think L is a bad or not L? uh, Kira. Kira is a badass and wants him. Except his name means shiny. (laughs) <laughs> no, it means killer. Oh, does it? If it was Kira Kira, it'd be shiny. Kira. Kira Kira. I, I would he's say... He's a Kira Kira Kira. I would say as far as the dub thing goes, yeah, I think that's just part of being new to anime. When I first started watching anime, I didn't want to watch anything subtitled. But basically, just give it time, because as she slowly starts to consume anime, and she wants to consume new anime, and she doesn't have a choice, because a lot of the new good stuff is not dubbed and won't ever be, she'll get there. She'll get there. I will say of the anime that I just listed, probably Monster and and Now and Then Here and There are the best animes on that list. I haven't seen Shin Sakai Yori, so don't don't attack me, Chiaki. And, and I would also say Habane Renmei is nearly a masterpiece also. 
So she, if she likes the fantasy elements in Death Note, I, I, for whatever reason, I've always kind of Death Note and Bleach have kind of stylistically always been tied in my mind for some reason. I could kind of see that. So um, maybe Bleach, if she likes the way Death Note looks. Oh I think God, but Bleach is like 290 episodes. Well, I mean, it'll keep her busy. It is dubbed. <laughs> it's definitely dubbed. And it is definitely dubbed. All the animes we listed are dubbed. So m- maybe is mo- Monster's dub. Monster is dubbed. It recently Monster got Monster does have a dub, yeah. God help that show for having a dub. <laughs> okay, so the next question, who would like to read it? I'll read it. Okay. Yeah, this is from DJ PYBK, and this person writes, Yo, addicts, new guy here. Yo. This past few days, I'm trying to catch up with your podcast from recent to the past. Uh. But unfortunately, it'll take some time. Yeah. How do you keep tabs on anime shows that you've watched and recently watched? Have you heard about the site My Anime List, a.k.a. MAL, which helps you keep a personal database for the anime shows you have watched? Also, have you heard about Hummingbird.me, which is basically MAL 2.0? That's all. Hope I can catch your live show this Saturday, August 31st. Keep up the great work. This is an older <laughs> mail, isn't it? <laughs> no, these, are, these aren't older. August 30th. Oh, well, okay, yeah. Oh, well, it's... 10 days old we have okay. we get a lot of mailbags so um That's fine. but actually yes i know my anim- i use it i use my anime list for uh, keeping up with all my shows i was going to transfer all my shows from anime news network which i started like 10 years ago over to my anime list and then i realized that my anime list makes you do them one show at a time and there's like 590 shows on my list so it would take me like 700 hours to do that so haven't gotten around to that so sorry I started trying to make a my anime list at one point, and then I had the stark, startling realization that I didn't care. <laughs> and <laughs> Who so, gives a shit? And so I stopped doing that. Uh, I just keep up with my shows for the season. I either have a sticky note on my desktop that I just change the episode numbers. Really, I keep track of what I watched by virtue of our podcast website, because we have a list of everything we've ever reviewed and I can just look at the list and go, was that my review? Nope. Or yes. And yeah, of course I watched anime before I started this podcast, but either a, a lot of what I watched before I started this podcast, I have reviewed for the show or has been reviewed for the show or B if it hasn't been reviewed for the show, it's something that was such a part of my childhood or younger years that I remember it without needing a list or something. I always thought it'd be fun to have like a, I've watched this many anime, but I just, I'm, I'm too lazy and don't care. Well, with regards to the keep it, keeping tabs on the shows we've watched and recently watched, we, we also use Google Docs. So this, this podcast, this, this podcast could also be sponsored by Google Docs. I mean, <laughs> we have something like 45 Google documents. Please Google sponsor us. That would be like be awesome. amazing. Everything from mailbags to guests to guest scheduling to um, the outlines for the anime Oscars episodes to stuff people have sent me. It's you. It's all Google documents. It's the best yeah. way to be organized. So. In a way that everyone we can all access it. Yeah, yeah. Like in, a, in a way that everyone can access it. But for it. me, like, I, I I enjoy my anime list because they they've got a smartphone app that is really convenient for keeping track of stuff. That's what I do. I spent a couple hours one day when I set it up and just went through their huge database of titles and just put everything that I have had ever seen. So I caught myself up, and now I use it to keep track of my current stuff. Apparently, the the, the chat thinks that Google Docs is hipster. Really? Is it? Is it? They've been around for a long time. I don't know. Time. Roko hates hipsters. He would not like to hear that. I don't, I, anyway, I, I've never heard of hummingbird.me ever. So. Me neither. Yeah, I don't know what that is. 
Okay, so. All right, then. So we are about to take a short news break. And when we come back, we're going to have a main topic that was inspired by a mailbag, I think it was. And it is morality in anime. And then after we have what is going to be a crazy intellectual discussion, unlike anything that you've ever seen. Oh, now, now. (laughs) Don't bump it up. (laughs) We're going to have reviews on Shinsekai Yori by yours truly and Genius Party by Cram. So stay tuned. all you rabid fangirls out there this is Chiaki and this is your anime news break some exciting news of things going on here in Japan for those of you located over here or maybe coming over here in the not too distant future starting on November 26th an exhibiting featuring artwork from the anime Puella Magi Madoka Magica will hit Osaka, Fukuoka, Tokyo, Nagoya and Sapporo the exhibit will include reproductions of artwork from the first two movies, as well as memorabilia related to the film, including foreign release movie posters and promo merchandise. It will also feature a 2 meter tall, 6.5 feet figure of Ultimate Madoka. That alone is enough to make me want to go. In other news, here located closer to home in Tokyo, from now until September 19th, fans can check out the Fantisa Doll Cafe. That's popped up at the Paseo Karaoke Lounge in Akiba. The menu items include six brightly colored drinks that are meant to represent six different characters. While food items include salad, parfaits, crepes, fried mackerel, a burger, and a special dessert. Customers who order from the special menu will also get special buttons depicting scenes from Drake Home Smartphone Game Fantasia Doll Girls Royale. Another cool thing for those of you who are headed to Japan during that span of time. Another news, online MMO action game World of Tanks has launched its service here in Japan. To help kick off the release, they've collaborated with the popular series Girls and Panzer to publish a special tutorial comic. The tutorial is illustrated by Midori Hagi and is called Hajimete no Senshado WOT for Beginners. The first chapter will feature characters from Girls und Panzer explaining tanks in World of Tanks. Even if this is a game that you are not located in Japan and cannot play, if you are a Girls and Panzer fan, it's something at least that's worth checking out. Another news for those of you who are figure collectors and J-pop fans, singer TM Revolution has tweeted an image of a Nenroid figure version of himself saying, hey, isn't this cute? The figure is a miniature version of him in his outfit for the Preserved Roses music video. He confirmed in later tweets that the figure is real from the Good Smile Company. There are other figures out there. Mizuki and another voice actress, Yukari Tamura, also have Ninroid figures. And finally, something that I think a lot of you probably already know about, but if not, something that I also think will make quite a few of you excited. The broadcast of the final episode of The Fate Khaled Liner Prisma Ilia, I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong, television anime series has revealed that a second season of the series has been greenlit. There's more coming. The teaser video announcing the new series stated, The story of the girl guided by fate is not over yet. Epic voice by Chiaki. 
Speaking of, this was Chiaki and this was your anime news break. Don't go anywhere, because we'll be back to the show soon. Screw this, I'm done. Tough game. Controls are awful, and I'm calling it a night on that. Oh, don't turn off the PS3. I think there may be a new One Piece episode. Let me hook up my laptop. No, the PS3, Mitsugi. Remember, Hulu Plus, dude. We're sure you've tried Hulu.com, but we want to tell you about Hulu Plus. Hulu Plus lets you watch thousands of hit shows anytime, anywhere. Stream it on your TV or on the go with your smartphone or tablet. Why just stand in line or ride a train and stare at your feet? You could be watching your favorite anime on Hulu Plus. Hulu Plus is a great way to binge watch your favorite shows. Hulu Plus has tons of episodes from great anime series like Attack on Titan, One Piece, Naruto Shippuden, A Certain Scientific Railgun, and thousands of other shows. Hulu Plus is only $7.99 a month. That's $7.99 for all the shows and movies you can watch. Catch up to current shows, binge on an old favorite, or catch a great movie. You can do it all on Hulu Plus. Right now, you can try Hulu Plus for a couple weeks free on us when you go to aaapodcast.com and click the Hulu Plus banner or go to huluplus.com forward slash anime. Please make sure you use huluplus.com forward slash anime so you get an extended free trial and so they know that we sent you. It helps us keep the lights on and gives you a better deal. One more time for the extended free trial, huluplus.com forward slash anime. And we're back to the 194th episode of the Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast. We've reached our main segment, morality in anime. I have a feeling shit's going to get heavy real fast. Oh, yeah. This is going to be super boring, guys. <laughs> get ready for it. Get ready for how boring this is going to be. Woo! Not really. No, I'm excited about this topic. I'm already sleeping. So um, we're going to jump right into this because we've actually got quite a bit to talk about. This is going to probably be longer than our, our usual um, topics. Oh, you think so? Maybe not longer, but it's probably going to be more dense. I think we're going to cover a lot more ground than we typically do. So we'll, let's get right into it. Um, so first, I think we need to define what morality is. So like the basic definition of morality is um, principles concerning the distinction between right and wrong or good and bad behavior uh, and just for the sake of simplicity uh, t- today ethics will also be used as a synonym for morality and I, I know that there are some there are schools of thought that say that ethics and morality are different but for today's discussion they're they're going to be the same they're basically synonyms I think it makes sense to look at them the way that we're handling this topic as the sure. same thing because ethics to me is is kind of like the choices that you make or mm. the the societal views of the choices and morality is defined Basically, it's the choices that you make because of your morals. Mm. And so I think we can look at them as the same thing. According to GJPYBK in the chat, the Church of Mitsugi has no morals. <laughs> I disagree. I think it does. It has a dogma. Dogma is based on we, some kind of morality. We stand up for what is right. There you go. That's, that's morals yeah. right there. <laughs> um, 
but we we're also going to be defining morality by philosophical theory and i've i've reduced this to a binary um of two uh modern philosophers uh, the first of which is Immanuel Kant who um lived between 1724 and 1804 he's considered to be the he's kind of central to modern philosophy especially in the school of reason, schools of reason and morality um he believed in what was called the categorical imperative, which is a concept that suggests that morality comes from a sense of duty. And he posited that all morality comes from reason, which is to say common law or discovered law. So basically, um, you know, for, for the good of the people, what the people decide is good is, is what we consider to be moral and therefore we act moralistically based on those principles. I remember reading about reading some of his works yeah. in college. Yeah, this, I, is, this is very philosophy 101 kind of stuff. I remember forgetting that I read about morals in college. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then he forgot the morals themselves. Actually, my, my first ever class, those classes when you're a freshman that they make you take, I um, can't, can't remember what they're called, but it was, mine was, uh, it was an ethics class, so, yeah. But I forgot all about it, so. See, I can't even remember the name of the class. Uh, the other philosopher we're going to be, that that I've kind of, uh, brought up as a counterpoint is David Hume, the obvious counterpoint to Kant, uh, who lived from 1711 to 1776, and he challenged Kant's ideas of the categorical imperative. Um, he, the most th famous thing he's, he, the most famous thing he's uh, known for challenging Kant about is um, causality, but that kind of feeds into these ideas of of moralistic character and stuff. Um, he believed that human reason and sense of duty were trumped by personal passions. So he suggested that true morality was not in what one quote unquote should do, but rather in what one actually does. So what you want to do ends up being moral by virtue of the fact that you want to do it. Exactly. Because it is because if you do it, then it is apparently right to you. So that that's true morals. The basic difference between Kant and and David Hume is that Kant says morality is a product of reason and it is at, at is it is adhered to on a wide social scale. Hume says morality is personal and it can differ differ within the individual and may change based on fluctuating desires. I'm I'm more Humean than Kantian. Um, I think probably most people are. I think I think that people want to be Kantian. I think people want to believe that there's this overarching societal agreeance on what is good and, mm -hmm. and evil in as humans, as mortals, as people struggling to make it in this big wide world. Mm -hmm. But I think most people end up being human. Yeah, they do. I, I, and I, I think that we're all admittedly a little of both. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, so I, bringing this into... Oh, did you have something to say about that? Yeah. I am a church of, I am a church of Mitsugian. Oh. Oh, oh, I just wanted okay. you to know that. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Wow. Thank you. That's important stuff. <laughs> so let's let's bring this into the anime spectrum. Like like let's bring it into the fold of, of what the topic is going to actually be about. So basically, all anime deal with a moral dilemma at some point or another. If a character makes a decision, however basic, it must be considered on a moral level. But here we we do have uh, some good examples of anime that that focus on the moral dilemma instead of just allow it to happen naturally. Uh, within the narrative um, so do one of you want to read off the first one and, and kind of give a breakdown of what its moral dilemma is and what kind of a uh, what kind of things it deals with well the first one I wrote down I wrote this on the list so I'll take it it's Ayakashi Samurai Horror Tales it's a three it's, a, it's an anime broken down into three stories and I think they all each have their own individual moral dilemma they're not 
particularly deep. The first one's about a man who basically poisons his wife to... Because he wants a, you know, more beautiful wife. So he kills her. That's not moral. The second one's about a, uh, a, a man who falls in love with a demon, even though the demons are luring humans into their castle to kill them and eat them. So, kind of felt like that was a moral dilemma also, because it's definitely not... Is it, is it okay? Is it right to be with a demon like that? I mean, I don't know. Right. I, I think it's also about um, kind of the overarching, the macro perception of what it means to be a demon, I guess. Just the name demon has negative connotations. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's a word that by its very nature, by its very nature kind of brings up these ideas of uh, someone who is, has been vilified or is being vilified or who is a villain, you know, I think. So, yeah, I, I think obviously that sounds like a, a good moral dilemma. Um, some of these on here, I, I added a few of these, but but um, you guys with a much more vast knowledge of anime specifically <laughs> added a bunch. So, um, actually, Chiaki, what is, what's the next one on this list? Next one's Code Geass, and Code Geass, I think, has an interesting moral dilemma in the sense that part of Lelouch's power is that he can control people, and the Geass is the power to... I think the the rules are he can control someone only once for one decision or to make them do one thing. And so that of course is a moral dilemma of is it is it right to control people? In my mind the way I see it is is you can look at it as a dilemma of is it right to control people even if what you're making them do is something that is ethically sound or something is it is it right to take someone's free will if that's the ethically sound thing to do and of course even that kind of higher level aside a lot of his decisions throughout the anime are are moral decisions on what's worth saving what's worth fighting for so the the people that he controls the actions of i and again i haven't seen code geass although i probably should um the the people that he controls do they bend to his whim are they are they people who have problems with the things that he makes them do or oh yeah it, oh they do so they there's, don't there's some good examples like there's the one spoiler coming there's the one episode later on in the series where he makes like the princess of the country order her guards to gun down like thousands of civilians who are right. like in a big crowd and and then later when she like comes to her senses because they have no uh, his power is they have no choice but to do what he tells them to so she, the whole rest of the show they're both like grappling with what a horrible thing that was and oh my god did I tell my people my guards to do that and what about the guards themselves do they do they I don't, show they don't that? really they're henchmen I don't know they just do I mean that's what they're told there, there, there's there's obviously levels there of like authority dictating the actions of others and whether or not those actions kind of go against what they perceive as ah. um more morally paragonal I guess like like kind of a like of strong moral, I guess, benevolent, if you will, not evil. There, there's also uh, leave it to me in the chat has has reminded me that because I haven't seen that anime in almost what eight years, maybe, is that the person who he actually tells to gun down those people is his sister. Alert. His sister, I guess. And this anime is so everyone yeah, has seen awesome. Kogias almost. So not me, <laughs> not you, but it's it's. It, it's, it's, it's okay. It's like okay. it's like Evangelion level of I've seen it almost. So you know, I have a point to make with the next one that that I don't want to get us off topic, but I noticed a question mark by it 
of what the morality is, and I actually I have something this. to contribute. Oh, gee, I don't know. <laughs> I think how did this anime get on? I think this was a cruel joke. Well, I is actually it? don't think it's a joke. Is it a joke? Because the next one's Dance in the Vampire Boond. And the reason why I think there's a morality here is, and again, this gets us a little bit on the outer edges of the topic, but I see the morality of, is it okay to watch shows like this? Is this And, and by this, she means shows <laughs> where they show the... Uh, the ass and uh, breasts of, you, you uh, of a seven-year-old. Then you're you're morally destitute. But I That's mean, I think I think it brings up morality involving the real world of anime mm. and all of the things that Japan is trying to pass yeah. with child pornography laws and pornography laws in general and censorship laws and things like that. And then Funimation was wasn't it airing in the states and then they had to take it down or th- there was a problem in the states too surrounding or a scandal even if they just brought it over there was a lot of shit flying about, around about of the this. fact that you know she's she's something something hundred years old but she looks like she's you know 10 not even and so like there was a lot of things surrounding this and i think i know it's not the topic we're on today but there's definitely a morality to the anime you consume Okay, so there there's a lot of there's a lot of anime examples on this list and there's also a lot of stuff to be covered after the list is finished. I really want to make sure we get to the recent shows before we run out of time because those are the shows that people have fresh in their minds. No, we will. I don't think we're going to run out of time. You right. don't think so? Yeah, we're we're going at a pretty good clip, I think. Okay. So well, the next one is Death Note. Yeah. So I didn't put this on here. I did. It's um. I, I think it's a, a pretty cut and dry allegory for capital punishment. C- capital punishment, rather, um, which is, you know, a moral issue. Um, and I I, the, I think the point of bringing these up is to talk about what kind of moral issues that they they get into. And Death Notes is is so cut and dry that I think that's pretty much all that can be said about it. Unless you guys have something to say about Death Note. Um. Don't. Our mailbag submitter's gr- girlfriend likes it. Yay. Yes. Yeah. That's. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's. True. I stopped watching it when uh, when L started making insane predictions based off of no information whatsoever. Mm. He kills people between three and four o'clock, and I he know, only kills these really certain people. So he has to be a high school so, student. We've so been he must be a before. high school student. And, <laughs> and, and 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 because I had coffee this morning, I think he must be related to one of the police mem- members of the police. My coffee told me. <laughs> Next one. Uh, or yeah. cram or someone. Uh, the next one is, is Eden of the East. Uh, and I think this is kind of classically Kantian versus Humean morta- uh, morality, rather. Um, it's kind of authority dictates the macro morality. In a, in a similar way, do you guys know of the Stanford prison experiment? I'm sh- if you took like the one psychology. Uh, where they had the... It's like the guard. Oh, they had the guards that abused the. Uh, yeah, they had students uh, and separated them into guards and and prisoners and basically let them do what they do, like do whatever they want. Do their roles. And, yeah, yeah. Play out their roles, and the I mean, abuse entered the picture pretty quickly. And I was thinking of a different experiment. Yeah, it's yeah. just like authority. You know, authority breeds kind of this abuse of power, and it's abuse of power that. Uh, is found in the individual to be uh, morally uh, right, I guess, um, in whatever way that, that that they see to to be able to act the act out the things that, that absolute they act power out. corrupts absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Didn't you know I'm actually Thomas Jefferson reincarnated? Did you? You are the sexiest Thomas Jefferson I've ever seen. Oh, bam. <laughs> 
but yeah, I think Eden of the East is a really good example of that. With what, what are they called? The Selasau and yeah. how basically they're like, here's all this money. Do whatever you want with it in order to make Japan a better place. You know and what? some people, like the some of the things that people do with that money is what we would say is awful, but they are given that power to do that. So they see it as right. You know what? Another moral issue or something that plays into moral issues, if nothing else that I see in Eden, Eden of the East illustrated very well is the notion of money is power. Money mm. is right. Like there's, there's always that argument of the person who has the money has the power and the person who has the power decides what's right and wrong. And there's definitely that in there. Um, Mitsugi, will you read the next one for me? Yeah, the next one is Eve No G-Con. So glad this made it on the list. Which is an anime about essentially robots who achieve some level of self-realism, uh, self-awareness, and want to be treated like people, you know? So there's a cafe that they go to where in the cafe they are treated like real people, and the only distingu- dis- distinguishing feature between the humans and the robots, which is the quote-unquote halo above the robot's heads is removed when you're in the cafe, so there's no way to tell the difference. I, so. I viewed this almost as a commentary on racism. Mm. I mean, techno-racism. But, cool. but as a, you know, you look back at, at, at racism throughout the ages, and what do people do? They dehumanize. They dehumanize people to to justify the racism that's there. And when you are forced to treat them like humans, you're like, oh, this is awkward. Because you realize that you've been a jerk. The whole yeah, time. exactly. Yeah, and, and even though G-Con is a, is a really, really short show, you can watch it all in like two hours. So I, I sort of recommend people watch it. I think it got a Blu-ray release or something recently. It's really yeah, good. Mom. It's really good. Wasn't there a Kickstarter for it to, to get it distributed? There was. There was. Okay. Yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. So the next one on the list I didn't put on here. So Oh, that was me. I'm sorry. That's uh, Ghost in the Shell. Um, I, I think this is kind of an interesting example because the morality doesn't come in. I mean, there are, of course, moral decisions that the characters make in the show, but I think the morality comes in an analogy to kind of uh, Kantian philosophies about um, that kind of uh, social idea of discovered law, common law, um, things that drive people to make decisions because of what other people say is um, is right or good. And, and the analogy comes in kind of an interesting way in that the, the hackers that hack into the cyborg brains and control their actions, you know, what those cyborgs are acting out is not something that is generated from their own volition, from their own passions, uh, which would be a very Humean idea, uh, but rather kind of uh, an external force guiding their their decisions and their actions, whether it's hacking or whether it's kind of this overarching uh, social idea of what morally is the right thing to do in any given situation. But yeah, Ghost in the Shell, I think is a good one. So I put Gundam Age on this list. And and generally, I feel like this applies to a, a lot of mecha anime. And I, that think, I think mecha anime gets a lot of morality because most of mecha anime deals with war. Yeah. But yeah, essentially. And in this in this show it's really a, a lot of it is about the fact that the the higher up soldiers in the army were k- keeping the identity of the enemy secret because they didn't want it to influence the uh the motivation of their own soldiers and in the end um of course for spoiler alert coming for those of you that haven't watched watched Gundam Age and for some reason think you will watch it spoiler coming the 
you find out, surprise, surprise, that the enemy are actually just people. They're just humans, just like the, you know, the Earth, Earth Federation Space Force or whatever. And, of course, the moral the dilemma comes into the third arc of the show, where it, is, it, is it okay to kill people that are human? And there's also moral choices that are made that, you know, like leaving the, abandoning those people on, on, on other planets and stuff like that is, you know, is that correct? And I have another Gundam show that I think really has a good moral ethical dilemma. Um, Gundam Wing. I don't know if it's ethical to have five hot bishies on the screen most <laughs> of the time. Really? I don't know if that's morally right for the ladies. Uh, I mean, I think that, that the <laughs> Gun- Gundam Age, all the Gundam shows and the mech shows, and even one that I was going to bring up later, and that's Malu, and basically any show that deals with war, um, if they take their, their topic seriously, they're eventually going to get in the con- into the concept of war morality. Yeah. And that's a whole other thing. Like That was the whole thing behind the, the moral question in Malu if you will, is, you know, one side considers what they're doing to be the right thing. Of course, it's a, it's war morality, and the other side considers what they're doing to be the right thing. And if it's done well, there's no bad guy. You know, like no one side is the bad side. You know, there might be bad people on both sides, but, you know, there are good people on both sides as well. I'm just going to I'm just going to jump ahead one on the list because that is a really good point to one of the reasons why I put Shinsei Kayori on this list. And Shinsei Kayori, I have a full review on it later, but so I won't get too far into it. But one of the, the big things of the show is that it's all about morals and ethics and, and what's right and wrong. And one of the large questions in that show that I really liked was who decides what's right and wrong? And, and is, something, is something right if it, if it saves people or if it benefits people or if it benefits the group there's almost a utilitarian perspective on it of where you know there's if it if it benefits the most people or if it's the best for humanity then then does that make it right um but shinsei kaiori has has a bunch of ethical dilemmas and a great example of that kind of as you were saying is the fact that throughout the whole anime you try to side with people you, you side with characters and you side with factions and, and you go, oh, this is right. This is the right thing to do. And then it oftentimes shifts it, which is exactly what, what life and morals should be, is that there isn't, there isn't often people who are evil. And there aren't often people who are Yeah, just good. pure evil. Like, yeah. it's, it's the drive to do evil is such a strange concept. Um, I think the closest we get to that in quote unquote real life is um, kind of a sociopathy, psychopathy. I think that's the closest we get to true evil um, because everything else is, is as it should be a gray area. What's yeah. what's right for you is not right for me. So um, yeah, moving Except on for brownies. To, brownies are right for everyone. Well, that's right. Brownies, blondies too. I like blondies. <laughs> I'm a blondie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I yeah. think I think Cram is uh, hitting on Chiaki. Wow, look at this. Might be. Little right? developments going on here. Oh, watch it's out. Is it it's a mor- little late. Your wife it, already hits on me every day. Is that moral? Is that moral? Is it moral? <laughs> <laughs> is it moral to hit on me? <sighs> um, and this is one that everybody expects to come up. And here it is. Monster. Yay, Yay Monster. Of course, um, Monster being all about morals. Like the whole, that's Good the Lord, whole the show. Good Lord, the whole show. 
Um, I, I think it focus kind of focuses a little heavily on the consequences of choices that are considered to be morally right, or at least that's how things get started, and then, like, of course, from there. You know what I also see in Monster, and, and not to bring up utilitarianism twice in, in not far breaths, but I, I, I like the theory of utilitarianism, so it sticks out in my head, but I think what's interesting for me in Monster is there's that... You feel like he makes the right moral choice at the beginning, but then the end result of that choice is something that is bad. So is right. it morally good even if it results in a bad ending, which exactly. is the whole concept of Well, it's, it's, it's all about retrospect. Like if, if, if you can look back on your decisions and be like, this decision that I thought was so right and was unquestionably right when I made it went on to be the result of so many people getting hurt was it really such a good moral decision after all? Yeah. And that's and it, that, that's a tough call. That's that's gray area. That's good. That's that's what we need in, in these kinds of stories. Well, there's also the whole thing about Kinderheim. Yeah. And like the, the brainwashing of the children. and. Yeah, yeah. Of course. But there's so many examples of all sorts of different types of morality speaking, in there. Speaking of children brainwashing, this wasn't on our list, but I'm just going to throw it on there real quick. Wait, wait. I'm not done with Monster yet. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. One of, the, one of the best examples I see of like the moral struggle in that, in that anime is, of course, Tenma. Because he, he's a doctor, and he doesn't want to kill people, but he ends up having to in his quest, or whatever you want to call it, to set things right. So he, so he carries a gun with him, and he does use it, but he also has like a bag full of medical supplies... And throughout the show, it, periodically he will either save a life or save the life of someone he just shot. And so you kind of see that, that, that struggle there where he's, uh, he knows he's doing something that he doesn't really agree with, but he tries to make up for that by doing something good also. Actually, I think you can say that um, Naoki Urusawa is kind of a slave to the morality dilemma because everything that he's ever done has strong moral questions in it. Uh, so yeah, anything by him, but but I think Monster stands out as one of the stronger examples. What I was gonna say was just one that I thought of when we were talking about the brainwashing of kids was uh, Gunslinger Girl. Oh, I, yeah. I think I think any anime that has that kind of taking children and grooming them, raising them to be something, even if if, if I'm remembering Gunslinger Girl correctly, and it's been a long time since I've watched any of that anime, but they they take orphans or kids who are going to die, right? They Something like that. Something like that. Yeah, th- is it? They, they live Do they li- orphan them themselves? I don't know. There's, there's definitely moral dilemmas there. So, so just another one that that really kind of brings to light those issues of, of anything like I said, anything that has children that you you're you're taking children and you're grooming them to be something. Oh wait, I think Shinsei Kayori does that. <gasps> Spoiler alert. Did, I think we skipped over Kite. Oh, yes. I think we did. It was. It's kind of easy to miss here on the outline. Kite is a really simple example of morality in an anime because it's about it's about assassins who do they do exactly what the what the name implies they kill people but they generally kill people who deserve to die sort of maybe not you know that's, yeah, it's the, like, it's that's one of the questions like the just, death note exactly it's, so like, it's capital punishment so you've got like child molesters you assassinate the child molester is that okay because they're child molesters or is it still not okay to kill people Except this is hard, you guys. It is. It makes your brain hurt. Uh, it does. I just watched Shinzika Yori. I'm not in... <laughs> my brain hurts with this. <laughs> uh, anyways, this came up in the chat, but it has to be said anyway. Now and then here and there is like morality the anime. 
<laughs> more yeah. ethical dilemmas the anime and i recommend this anime really strongly to the person who wrote the mailbag who was that that was uh Reiji, i think it was. nick b huh nick b wrote oh, the, mail, oh, the mailbag, mailbag about his girlfriend but this anime is a little hard for girls to watch i i've I said it i've said it a long time ago on this podcast that when i was running our anime club years and years ago i showed now and then here and there the first one the first meeting and I think the next week no girls came because it's just too much sometimes for I'm not saying girls are weak or whatever but there, it's well, for example is it moral to rape a girl to create soldiers well I mean I would I would Obviously definitely not. say some some scenes in that are maybe a little bit harder for females to watch than for males just because something like the topic of rape is is more it's something that I think is fair to say that more girls fear something like that than than men do. Is it, is I'm not it, saying men can't be raped. I'm just saying I think in the society we live in and and whatnot, it's something that is, you know, scared in the night type of thing for for girls, and it's not something that that registers often for guys. And, and even and continuing on that line, is it moral to kidnap children? To be used as soldiers or and or, you know, rape victims to make some make babies. And now we're bringing back to the children. And of course, isn't is it moral to murder people? And but even even more than this, I, I think that the main the major theme of now and here and there is forgiveness. But that's sort of a, a different topic. So, who put Rio Rainbow Gate on here? <laughs> Cram, 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 are you playing a joke on me? I I did not do that the morality of titties the morality of pachinko game is it is it moral made into is it moral for a writer in an animation studio to create an anime even if they know that watching that's, it will create permanent brain damage to each and every sad, viewer sad podcaster will be forced to watch mm. wow. you will never be the same again and 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 the moral of the story you see what i did there the oh. moral of the story is never watch an anime made after a pachinko machine. Um, leave it leave it to me. Brought up a, a good one actually from this. Rainbow, the anime. That is oh, a... Oh, Rainbow is an extremely good example that I didn't think of. It's a very good example. Yeah, um, the... What's the full name of that? Shichinin to... Hmm. Something it's called Rainbow. Rainbow, yeah. <laughs> that anime has a ton of moral stuff in it. I well, can't even begin to start. It, That's a great it deals, example. It deals with prison, so... I mean, yeah. There's starvation in there. There's again, is it okay to kill someone if it's their, if they're a bad person? There's all kinds of torture. It's that whole anime is pretty rough, but yeah, that's a good example. Thank you for that. I put I put this example on here because it was extremely recent, and I think most people that are listening or some people will have seen this one. And that's Suisei no Gargantia is a good example and. Finally, I can use this anime for something useful. And it's um, generally because it, it goes kind of along the same lines as Gundam Age, where, you know, the, the main character, uh, Red or Beido or whatever, doesn't know... Pokemon Trainer Red? Yeah, exactly. He doesn't know who the enemy is until he finds some magical data disc at the bottom of the ocean that tells him. And he finds out that, surprise, surprise, spoiler coming. Just... So you know, sorry. He finds out that the enemies are, wow, who would have thought they'd be humans that were genetically modified? So 
Is it okay to kill people? Is it okay to kill the enemy even though they're just people trying to do their own thing and trying to survive in their own way? So, recent example. Something that that people in the chat brought up that made me think of that's an, again worth mentioning is uh, Kenshin. And I'm going to add Trigun because I think there are correlations that can be made in the morality department between uh, Vasha Stampede and Kenshin. And that's that whole I'm not going to kill people because I'm just not. And, and the lengths that they go to to avoid killing people. And I think it's kind of the other side of that argument where if they did just kill the people, it would save a ton of lives and a ton of pain. But... I mean, is it is it the right thing to do by not killing them, or or is it the right thing to do by killing them? And and I and I think both of those. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily call them morally focused anime, but it, it's definitely a central theme to them because that's important to both the main characters. And spinning off of that, the the concept of is it, is it okay to do something bad if it saves more lives in the long run? Barefoot Gen. Yep. Barefoot Gena, it's an anime about the atomic bombing in Japan. That's so, a very seminal work. Right I mean, they, the atomic bomb was a terrible thing, but people had people had said that if if it hadn't been if, if if it wasn't done, more lives would have been lost on both sides throughout the course of the the war. But you know, that's, yeah, again, I mean, it's that's it's, again it's a war morality again, and and that that comes up a lot. And I think that in in war fiction, um, I mean, that's something that has to be addressed. Unless unless you're going for the all out like Nazis are evil, the other side that's fighting the Nazis. Not if you're is Miyazaki. <laughs> not if right. you're Miyazaki, Nazis are not evil. Or right. if you're uh Which I mean Osamu Tezuka. His yeah. his big work Adolf. Yeah. Yeah, I mean and and that's true. And and I think that actually bringing up Miyazaki, um uh, I I did make a side note on the on the topic that uh I think the necessary themes of morality were notab- notably missing from The Wind Rises, which we reviewed pretty recently. And I think that that's kind of one of its core thematic problems, which we talked about in so many words. But also speaking of Miyazaki, almost any Ghibli film that has an environmentalist theme has morality questions. Yep. Mononoke is one of the, the biggest questions. And there's a ton of morality. Is Lady Eboshi evil? You know, is, is she a good person or a bad person? And you sit there and you want to say, but you can't. Um, and there's a lot of characters in, in Ghibli films that are like that. Or uh, Pompoko, that's another mm-hmm. good one. That's an environmental one that has a very clear is what we're doing right or, or wrong. Speaking of Miyazaki. <laughs> Speaking yeah, of Miyazaki. Yeah, that's a good call by the chat. Hasn't heard that phrase in a long time. Yeah. I don't want to skip over Toadu Kagaku no Railgun S because it's another... C- recent example that's still running actually and that's because in that anime they clone a person hundreds of times in order to use them as in order to kill them to train another soldier so to speak so I mean is it okay to clone a person without that person knowing in the first place then is it okay to throw away life that you've created to essentially develop a weapon well that's the question of what is life is it life if you've created it that kind of kind of dilemma and that goes back to you know even OG con and things like that is is it are they really human what is humanity oh they're human all right well i mean they make that i think um i think we've basically gotten through the list oh i also put train train man on here 
train man. Uh, the inciting incident specifically is kind of a moral decision that he makes to protect the young girl on the train, and then from there it kind of changes his life. But it's really only at that moment that is it's, is it's train kind of man like midnight sleazy train. Is that the is midnight meat train? <laughs> no, <laughs> last train to Grubsville. Last train to Grubsville. <laughs> oh, no. no, not at all. Not and, at all. And Actually, it's a really sweet, uh, sweet manga. I, I don't know if there's an anime. I know there's a live action movie, but I, I, I put it on here because I know it's a manga. And perhaps the best example in all of anime of morality is Cobra the animation. Is it moral to be so damn sexy? Is it moral to use a cigar as your disguise? Women can't resist him. And Agent Ica Zero, really. Um, I'm just going to put free out there right off the bat, something really pertinent from this season. Yeah, uh, freezing. Um, oh, yeah. What about uh, Agent Ica Zero? I just we watched. Oh, did you, did you really? Jeez, Chucky, way to I'm listen so- to Cram. I'm sorry, Cram. I'm oh, sorry I pulled a Mitsugi. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> freeze, freezing is my go-to joke anime for anything. It's like, oh, yeah, and then also freezing. You're, you're just vindictive that... Roko put a bunch of freezing on your Hulu. It's on my Hulu <laughs> history. I can't get rid of that now. <laughs> uh, I, I think that uh, especially like one genre that really stands out as kind of being uh, really dense with this kind of uh, moral, these moral questions are is science fiction, of course. And thankfully, anime has a kind of a long and rich history of sci-fi entry um, genre entries. Yeah. So uh, I think, I think that's because again, a lot of the sci-fi deals with a lot of the, the new technology creates new moral problems, and and I think that's really illustrated well. It's all also about the human condition and kind of how yeah. we exist versus how we, you know, versus what we create. But anyway, um, I think some of the best examples, the best examinations of human morality, come from narratives in which the protagonist and antagonist cannot clearly be labeled as good or bad. This is something we see more prominently, like uh, again in in war uh, films and war. Uh, stories but I think the more gray area you have in a moral question the better the conversation will be I think that's just a just a given like if you if you say you know is it is it moral to murder I think that's kind of patently immoral so there's not really a conversation there you know what I mean so um, I think I think the gray area is good and the more of that there is the better the better the question is Um. Also, I want to uh, briefly talk about a few cultural differences. Uh, we're, we're getting close to the to the end of this topic here. So the cultural differences kind of color ethics in very different ways for different audiences. So let's consider some of the following ideas and how the Japanese portray them in anime and film versus these same ideas and how they're portrayed in Western media. I actually, I actually just want to take a moment sure. and, and talk about another theorist that isn't a necessarily moral theorist, but is a cultural theorist. And that's Gert Hofstede mm. and Gert Hofstede produce, what is it? Five, six cultural dimensions. Uh, five. I think it's five. Yeah. And these cultural dimensions, you can look them up, you can wiki it. It's, it's a big thing and it's still pretty much wide, widely accepted today, but Basically, the point of why I'm bringing this up is on all of Hofstede's cultural dimensions, Japan is like number one or number two on one end of the spectrum. And America or and and I I know a lot of listeners aren't American, but I'm just going to use America as a primary example. America is number one or number two on the opposite end of the spectrum. And the whole notion of the cultural dimension is that it's not right or wrong. 
it, it, it's not like weren't this his, side is right. And this weren't side his findings right. very heavily uh, focused on individualism versus like groupthink though? There's uh, that's, that's one of one his, of the individualism individualism versus there's, collectivism. Yeah. Then there's masculine feminine, which mm. doesn't sound like what you think it sounds like. It's more of a perception on on what is accepted by culture. So right. there's masculine patriarchal or matriarchal societies, right? I I think it's even a bit different than that. Okay. I think I think it's it's less of that and more of like I said how things are are perceived how things are what what's accepted in the culture um masculine feminine individual versus collective mitsugi almost has it pulled up so we can make sure we say the right ones yeah it's individualism um, versus collectivism power distance um oh, yeah. power distance uncertainty avoidance masculinity versus femininity and a long-term orientation and you really have to to read into what each of those define because they're not necessarily like I said the masculine feminine isn't necessarily intuitive to what you think it would be, um, but but yeah of course those those uh, those categories color our perceptions as audience members and as critics you know as as media journalists uh, the three of us have to look at these things from a cultural perspective and if we don't allow. If we don't allow our upbringing, our culture, our th- the relevance of our culture, uh, influence our thoughts on the things that we view as journalists, then we're we're not doing our jobs, basically. So uh, l- let's just think, um, and we're not going to bring up any specific examples, but let's think about these categories and how the Japanese treat them in their media versus Western media. So, of course, individualism versus groupthink or collectivism, incest, pedophilia <laughs> versus uh, pedophilia or ephibophilia. Uh, Feminism, Adu, homos- Adu, yeah, Nai, no feminism. Homosexuality and transgenderism, in- suicide, inai. war, Adu. nationalism, Adu. Adu. race and es- ethnicity, Adu. and of course traditionalism. Adu. So it's it's uh, and and you're you're saying like they they have it or they don't have it. Yeah. It's not about whether or not they have it. It's how they approach it. You see what I'm saying? Like oh. you, like you you. No, I understand. I'm just yeah. I'm just messing around. So, um, but yeah, just if you just think about how you see those things examined or talked about in in anime and Japanese media versus how you see them perceived in Western media or how they're displayed in Western media, then you see a huge kind of uh, uh, disparity between cultures there. It's really obvious. So I, I think that colors our, our perception of these things and is very, very important in deciding what is, in fact, moral or seeing the gray, gray area that's so important to this conversation. Yeah, and of course, I mean, in business school, you probably will learn that America, Japan is considered a very high-context culture when you, look, when you compare it to America, and that, in that meaning that they're co- very different from each other. And so it's oftentimes difficult for a company to do business in a country like Japan, and that's what, what the Hofstad framework is used for usually. I'm... I'm just going to put this out there as because people have talked about wanting to write term papers and stuff on anime before. I think it would be really interesting if you could do a study, if you were maybe out in California and you had a large Japanese population to do a study on you show a controversial episode of a show to Americans and Japanese people and you have them try to identify who the bad guy is and why. So, yeah, I think, I think that that's would be, I think that's excellent. And I mean. There's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of different topics that you could use with that, you know, this sort of contrast. All right. So, is there anything else that we want to talk about morals in in anime? I think I think we've kind of got a good um, I don't know all around discussion. Good, had a good conversation on 
how they approach morals in anime and some good examples of morally dense um, anime. I think we were so stupid last week. It was good to prove to everyone that our brains we're are not totally are still, retarded. <laughs> are still working. All right, we are going to take another news break, and when we come back, we're going to have two, I think, rather epic reviews of Shinsei Kayori and Genius Party. So don't go anywhere. Hail you rabid anime fanboys out there, this is Chiaki and this is your anime news break. First up, if you're a rabid anime fanboy, there's something coming out that maybe you'll be excited about. The official website for Katakawa's game High School DXD for the Nintendo 3DS has begun streaming a promotional video to highlight the special edition bonus extras this past week. The video can be found on YouTube, but since you'd have to search for it in Japanese, it might be easier to first navigate to the website. It's an erotic battle adventure game, and in this promo, every time a girl does something, her breasts jiggle and a sound goes, because that's what breast jiggling sounds like. This game is in the adventure school anime game genre, and it will ship on November 28th for 6,300 yen which is about 63 US dollars. Now, if your pockets are a little deeper and your fandom runs a little stronger, you can pre-order the special edition for 9,240 yen, which is about 93 US dollars, and receive a pair of earbuds that look like breasts. Yep, more breasts. A cord manager strap, other fancy art thing, a transforming cloth that zips into a compact triangle that you can guess what that triangle looks like. A 3D card with an exclusive illustration depicting a naughty scene. None of this should probably surprise you given the subject matter of the game. Let's be honest, who's out there who's going to order it? Speaking of getting some anime merchandise, some cool things out there for you to get your hands on, there's a Colossal Titan Tea Strainer. You know, for all those times that you've been sipping tea and went, hmm, Titan would taste good with this. There's Attack on Titan masking tape for all those times you wanted to fix the walls that Titans have broken in your life. Puele Magi Madoka Magica cell phone charm straps that I think Mr. Cram would want some of. And a Nenroid Shinku Rosin Maiden set that I think is incredibly cute as the person who's watching Rosin Maiden right now. And more Attack on Titan merchandise that makes me particularly excited is Attack on Titan Soldier Tights or Titan Tights. I can't wait to see all the lazy cosplayers wearing that at conventions near and far. In other news not directly related to anime merchandise, the Guinness Book of World Records has gotten involved with Japan. The Guinness World Records Committee has recognized Suburaya Productions' Tokusatsu Special Effects Program Ultraman as the television series with the most number of spin-offs in the world this past week. The Ultraman series premiered in 1996 and the most recent Ultraman series, Ultraman Jinja or Ultraman Galaxy, just debuted in July. There are 27 spinoffs. This was Chiaki, and this was your Anime News Break.
Hi, my name is Tadao Tomomatsu, host of Anime Sushi and international actor and interviewer. And I am an anime addict. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm an anime addict. <laughs> And we're back. We've reached our review section of the show, and I'm just going to take it right away and do the review on Shinsekai Yori, or From the New World. General info on the show, this show is 25 episodes long, 22 minutes an episode, and the release date was fall 2012. So I'm really not that far behind, considering it finished earlier this year. But uh, this was definitely one that I wanted to wait until I was at a point that I could give it more attention, and I'm really glad I did. So, general plot, just to kind of get us started, I know this is a review that, that some of you have been have been waiting for me to do, and I really hope I don't let you down. I really hope you kind of agree with what I'm going to have to say. The plot I, I wrote down is very basic. Five students with supernatural powers live in a world that is set in the far distant future. Humanity is basically reduced to, I think it's like 2% of the previous size that it was. They've come to realize that the world is not as it seems and slowly begin to learn the chilling truths about their village, the greater world around them, and each other that will change their lives forever. So I know that's a very basic description, but for this show... A lot of what it is is it centers around the the characters and what's going on in their world and them slowly discovering what's going on in their world. Shinsai Kayori is based off of a novel by uh, Yusuke Kishi of the same name. And I think that a lot of the show, what makes the show great is the fact that it probably had great source material. I haven't read the novel Shinsei Kayori, but if there was a translation in English, because I have no doubt that this novel would use words in kanji that I cannot even come close to reading, if there was an English translation, which there might well be, the anime is good enough that I'm sure I'm sure it follows the normal if the visual medium is good, the original novel is better. And this is something that I would totally totally be willing to find and read if it has an English translation. Staff, the director of Shinsei Kayori has been involved in a lot. Um, The director was uh, Masashi Ishihama. But as far as looking at the credits to his name, I didn't see anything where he was the exclusive director before this so this seemed to be his directorial debut as the primary director for a series i saw a lot of animation director episode director um director for openings or closings or things like that but this seemed to be the first show where he was the director of the whole show did that did, did that make you nervous initially you know, I, I have to admit, for better or for worse of what it is, a lot of times I don't start looking at the staff until I'm in, engrossed in the show and, and something strikes me and I go, huh. And then I look at the staff to see like, oh, this music sounds familiar. Is it this person? Oh, blah, 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 blah. Or I kind of just do it at the end and then make the co- connection. So it didn't make me nervous initially, but I do have to say that 
if this really is his directorial de- debut and I'm I'm no longer I or I'm I'm not incorrect in that then it was a very good one. Also, the other thing that I noticed that's worth mentioning on staff about four, I think it's four, maybe five episodes in, there's a shift in the visuals. This is because a change in the episode director for that particular director. That episode director comes back and it was enough of a shift in the directing direction style and the animation style that it actually caused me, to, this was one of the things that I looked up because... I was wondering if the series had a whole shift. It's only for, I think it's episode four, only for episode four and episode 10 that this happens. And I've, I've, I've seen some people argue that it was actually a stylistic choice because this particular episode director style more suited what was going on in those episodes. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that or not because it wasn't that I disliked the new quote unquote style that the director used, but I don't like, I don't like it when the style just changes of something. It, it makes it feel disjointed to me. So that was kind of my perception on that. Animations. For me, the visuals are simple yet stunning. It balances the right amount of details and colors using extreme imagery when needed to really emphasize important points. There's a couple times where some of the characters will have visions or something and they're really like acid trip 1960s acid trip almost with Fear the videos visuals but it works that being said i've have read that it had a relatively low budget but i thought a1 studios did a really good job of making it work well i'm trying to see if i can can find the budget but it doesn't have it at what i'm looking at Either way, I've read that it had a very low budget, and I could see that at various points, but I think that that there were a number of very good choices made by the team from animation to direction to everything that really made that budget stretch very well in the animation department, and, and I thought it was a pretty show to look at. Maybe there were some cases where the animation wasn't as phenomenal as it could have been and I do remember those parts where the animation the movement itself of the animation maybe wasn't as phenomenal but I thought it looked beautiful music the music is really amazing in this series and it fits exactly what the anime needs at that moment it's actually kind of music that you could almost just listen to it's one of those few OSTs that I would put on my iPod and just have to come up on shuffle because the music really is quite phenomenal uh, fun fact, the name of the show is the Japanese translation of Antonin Dovok's Ninth Symphony from the New World. And the piece does make an appearance in the series, which I thought was interesting. So the review itself. This is likely one of the best series that has come out in the past year that no one gave a damn about. And I, I actually, I will, I will come out and say it. I'm, I'm kind of ashamed that I didn't, wasn't on watching this one faster so that I, I could have sung its praises a lot more throughout time. Um, because this is definitely something that was really worth watching. It took me some time to get around to this review, as I mentioned, and in part because I wanted to, to sludge through a lot of the crap in my backlog. 
um, of shows that I just kind of put on the back burners that I'm like, I really don't want to watch this. And and this was a show, not that I didn't want to watch, but a show that, that right off the bat, I knew it was going to c- command my attention. And I... I wanted to give it the attention I knew it deserved. Um, and I knew that it deserved that attention a year ago in, in the first three or four episodes. And and I'm really, I'm really glad I did. Shinsai Kaiori is an intense, mature, and psychological series that questions many aspects of life, such as good and evil, the nature of humanity, morality, as I said, and more. This is a show that's steeped in lore, and it has some of the best storytelling I think that's out there in anime and yes it starts off with five 12 year olds with superpowers going to a school a lot of this review I think as a result is going to be more convincing you to make the right decision that is watching this anime so in doing so I'll likely be mentioning some things here and there that you may have heard about this anime that may be a reason why you're not watching it for example there is a yaoi scene where two boys kiss and shocker but and that's the thing that's the reaction that people are going to give to this to this when they hear that they're going to see a picture of Shinsei Kayori and it's going to be two dudes kissing and they're going to be like oh it's anime it has two dudes kissing but even though no one in Japan is homosexual right (laughs) yeah but what the thing is is that that scene only comes up in really one episode and it's pertinent to what the episode is trying to say. And it's not like after that it just kind of is thrown in there as, as fan service and things like that. It has a point to be there. And well, you could argue it as maybe it is indeed fan service. Even they could have illustrated that point in a different way. It wasn't cliche to me. It didn't feel like, oh, well, now they, they've checked the boys kissing off the list. It's an anime. And so that's a pretty good example of one of the things that I think people might hear about the show or see about the show and and we'll just go, oh, well, it's just another one of those shows. Shinsei Kayori starts off as what I've heard some people describe as slow. Well, I didn't personally experience this, I think a lot of this negative feeling comes from the fact that it does start out sounding horribly cliche. There's even like a ball rolling contest in the second or third episode. But what these episodes function as is intense world building that is essential for a series of this length, as, as I feel. Right off the bat, you begin to get an uneasy feeling and some foreshadowing that there is something far darker surrounding these children. All of this is somewhat put together around episodes four and five when they meet a quote-unquote library creature with all of the data that led up to the fall of humanity. I did mention that the story was set in the future. Well, it's set in the very far future. The information dump that this library creature gives these children isn't so severe that you're shockingly overwhelmed, but it gives you enough to start to make sense of what you've seen until now and begin to try to piece things together going forward. It also introduces some things that will become relevant later on in the series. For example, that whole kissing scene. Foreshadowing, paste details, these all sound like great examples of storytelling. Yep. They are. The next four or five episodes focus around a war of some animal-esque creature tribe things, clans. One of which is like a spider clan. And let me express that I watched Icky Spiders for you all. I hate spiders. 
I this is true. hate Chuggy. spiders. Chuggy does hate spiders a lot. My front door has spiders hanging over the the, the front <laughs> door, and uh, every time she comes over, it's a uh, it's an issue. I sprint through the door; otherwise, the spiders are going to attack me. That's because your house is like is like Disney's haunted mansion. That's true. My house <laughs> is like you have bats. You have like have bats. you have bats. Japanese and, and weasels people, running through the that's floors. That's right. Weasels yeah. in the walls. People have died. <laughs> yeah, people have died in your house. There's a, you, you have a demonic cat that that's, will kill you on right. sight. Yes, and possessed. you have spiders. Yes, and spiders, big spiders. Anyways. There there are some spider scenes and that just shows you how worth it this show was. I I stomached the spiders. Honestly, that probably would have been enough in some other shows that I would have just been like, "Well, I'm done. I'm just going to skip all these episodes until I start seeing spiders." At one point in the series, kind of during these this time where we're we're meeting the tribes, um there's the start of what would be a sex scene between two 12-year-olds. And which just saying that again makes this series sound really cheap or cliche or one that's worth putting down by virtue of that alone. That's very not Japan. Um, but the way in which it's presented and what it means to the series is rather in- integral. The scene is not fan service or self-serving, but in all it's tastefully done um, and it serves as an example of humans psyche overcoming what is engraved or programmed in them to do and so it has all of the awkwardness that you know would be there and then it has her kind of saying no I'm I'm not gonna do this because as I said they men- met the library creature and this is what I'm programmed and I'm gonna try to overcome that anyways spiders and awkward potential child sex aside Shortly after, we come to the first time skip that occurs in the series around episode 9. Time skips are something that occur throughout this series, but not in such a way that it feels like we're jumping away from the characters. So you mean there's not a random point in the middle of the show where they jump like 9 years in the future? <coughs> Current logon? <laughs> <laughs> they, they do have jumps, but the jumps don't feel so severe. They don't feel severe to the point that it makes you feel like you're, you're looking at the characters going, who are you? Um, this first time skip is actually really substantial in that it does a great job of illustrating the changes that occur between the ages of 12 to 14. When you think about a 12 year old and a 14 year old, there's such a almost stark difference between those two people that it's rather impressive. And the series does a great job illustrating that. One of the things I'm not sure I like about where the series went with things was the illustration of sex drive and romance. I understand it is an important part of the series and Uh, what sex is and what it means for society and how society views sex but some of it I still couldn't help but feeling it felt was contrived and maybe it's just me maybe that's just my taste on it Um, I saw what they were trying to do but some of it still kind of felt mm, I don't know Um, a lot of it was great maybe again maybe it's just me the sheer fact that it has sex in it at all is a near miracle as the JFPA survey released in January 2013 found that 45% of women in Japan ages 16 to 24 were, quote, not interested in or disliked sexual contact, and more than 25% of men in the same age group felt the same way. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Come halfway through the series, if you're not completely sucked in, there's a huge shock, or at least it was for me, that really changes things for our characters. 
The second half of the anime takes more time really explaining the world and fleshing out things that you came to understand or maybe not really understand in the first half. What I really liked about Shinsei Kayori was that they tied up everything neatly in a bow. Any assumptions you made on what things meant in the first half or any questions you had on how the world worked were fleshed out and explained in the second. But it does so in such a way that you can still draw your own conclusions about the real questions of what the show is asking, the nature of humanity and human society. The characters are a driving force of this anime. Watching them navigate through this almost painful experience in the world is something that instantly pulls you to them. At times you want to punch them in the face for their willingness to conform or throttle them for acceptance of injustices as the way things are. But because of these things that are so deeply human, I think part of the anger as a viewer comes from the introspective look on ourselves as we watch because we've all had that moment where we've just accepted something because it is the way it is and, you know, nothing we do is going to change it and and that's just what it is. Because of this, when the characters do make the mold, watching them do so is as intriguing as it can be torturous. There's a necessary painfulness in watching this anime. Each chilling moment will only captivate you and let yourself be drawn further into this world. I don't see how it can't happen as a viewer. Since the world is so unbelievably engaging, I understand that it could be seen as slower in the first half, but this is an anime that deserves to be watched and that deserves to be respected. It's 25 episodes, and I would say give it a good six or seven before you you even consider putting it down because you're not even halfway through at that point and a lot of the start of the series is really really taking the time to build a world correctly so six to seven i mean that's a lot of time for someone to spend before they get any payoff i don't i'm not saying i'm not saying it's it's a payoff thing i'm just saying if you're uncertain about it after three or like two or three give it six or seven instead because like i said it's 25 episodes that's a fourth of the show i guess yeah um that would be like watching three episodes of a 12 episode series anyways if you can't tell i really enjoyed the show as as much as i didn't enjoy watching it it's one of those shows that you're like i really liked that i really don't want to watch it again anytime soon because it it's just that kind of it makes you think about things and consider things that aren't fun and fluffy and happy to think about. But because of that and because it does such a good job of that, it's worth being watched by more people than have seen it. Overall, I'm going to give this show a four and a half out of five. Um, four and a half, I don't know, mole, rat, whatever, they're, I forgot, creatures out of five. Um, it was almost a five for me. It was really close, but... Some of the things I just think held it back from being a 5. If I could give it a 4.75, I would, but we don't give those on this show. So um, I I can see how it would be a 5, though, for some people. And if if you disagree with me and you say it's a 5, I I get it. And I can can side with that. But I think giving it any lower than a a 4.5 would be a crime to to what this anime did. So, Thank you. That was so good. Was that good? Did you like it? Hot, hot job. Are, are you proud of me, Crom? You have good reviews, and I want to be good you review did, like you. You did a good job on your review. Oh, thank you. I don't think Chiaki appreciated my, my statistics on Japan. I loved them, just for the record. It's a huge problem over here. Yeah, yeah. I love statistics. Japan's population is, is supposed to decline from 130 million to 80 million oh, by 2060. That statistic is that's making me sexually aroused right now. That's how much I love statistics. What would be less crowded and there'd be less traffic. So I am going to review 
something super fun, maybe. We'll Thanks see. for asking. Thanks for asking. So, <laughs> uh, I'll be reviewing a Genius Party. Uh, have, do you guys know what this is? Negative. No, I don't. What is it? So, Genius Party is an uh, anthology film that came out in 2007 by Studio Four Degrees Centigrade or C Four Degrees C. How do you say their their studio name? Studio Four Degrees C. Studio I, I did say Studio Four C. Studio Four C. Okay. Anyway, that's um, that's like uh that's like 41 degrees F. So uh, this is this is an anthology film, much like um. Uh, why is Batman Gotham Knight coming to mind? But yes, much like Batman Gotham Knight or Halo <laughs> Legends or Memories or any of those anthology films that have like short segments by different directors in it. Uh, and one of the things that I kind of want to talk about in in analyzing this this anthology film is um, how should it be approached? So should an anthology film be approached uh, based on like with each entry being judged on by its own merits or should it be broken up and each one or or rather i mean as a whole and uh you know the whole thing is judged for its consistency or whatnot how, how do you how do you guys think like when well, you when you analyze like we did memories recently when i do memories i separate them usually because magnetic rose is so much better than the other ones right so, so i normally separate them yeah exactly and, and i think that that in short film anthologies where multiple filmmakers are gathered to create pieces under kind of a unifying theme or idea, one should expect that each work is is going to vary greatly in narrative and style and themes and, and all this kind of stuff. So this encourages the analyst to consider the entries independently, right? But then what's the point of gathering, the, gathering them under a common banner? Is it just for maybe convenient consumption? So that that's kind of one of the things that I want to talk about when I get into this. But first... Let's look at these individually and talk about what each segment is about. This this has seven different segments in it. I'm going to briefly discuss each of them, and I'm going to review each of them on their own and then kind of give a greater review at the end, okay, which would be an average. So the film opens with a short uh, that is called Genius Party, uh, and it is directed by Atsuko Fukushima, and... It basically uh, it begins with what appears to be a man dressed dressed in a makeshift bird costume, and he's wandering through the desert. And when he finds this stony little sphere with a with a face, he pulls its heart out, and he eat and it he eats the heart, and it causes him to grow these fiery wings, and he flies up into the sky. And all these other little stones with faces saw him do this, and they're like, "Wow, that's great!" So one other stone decides to eat its own heart, and then from inside the little stone ball, this big glowing flower comes out which also sprouts wings and flies into the sky <laughs> and uh, and then all of the uh, the other stones watching this are so amazed that they're exposing their own own hearts and then a bolt of lightning comes down from the sky and it bounces around to all the, the hearts and Is brings us to our title something that's better under the influence <laughs> <laughs> I'm just you know that's, that's not completely a joke no no you the influence of what Shaggy exactly you're kind of on the right track anime um, crack anime crack so then we return to the bird from the beginning and he's staring blankly at this kind of massive fleshy pulsating film projector which looks like kind of something out of a David Cronenberg film and it's surrounded by this ring of the little floating stone faces and that's the end of the first segment and it's you know undeniably strange and kind of kinetic and and really actually pretty beautifully animated but it doesn't serve to establish much of an overarching concept or idea for the films to follow I mean 
naturally. I could wax intellectual and pronounce the unifying nature of cinema appreciation as the central theme of this opening segment, but it doesn't give me enough to make that assessment, and the films that follow don't really share that, so it, it would be stupid to say. But apart from the animation, the best thing about this segment is it's kind of percuss- percussive uh, uh, electronic soundtrack. It's really nice. And then next we have Shanghai Dragon. Uh, this is directed by Shoji Kawamori, and this film follows a bullied Chinese boy who finds a glowing device that will bring into reality whatever he draws with it. So he uses it to uh, draw basically a, uh, a superhero suit, like a Super Sentai suit on himself, and he fights off this invading alien force from the future. Is it like Harold and the Purple Crayon? I don't know. It, maybe, yeah. When that you sounds draw, familiar. You, you draw things and it like is reality? But he can only do it with his Purple Crayon? He, yeah, exactly. Yeah, actually, that's basically, yeah. Oh, interesting. Harold and the Purple Crown, the yeah, anime. Yeah, yeah, totally. Wow, I forgot about that. Nice. It's an old old book. <laughs> but um, perhaps the strangest thing about this portion of the anthology is how inconsistent the animation quality is. It, it's just constantly wavering between, like, top-tier production values and then the stuff of TV budgets. Uh, it's also one of the more interesting things about the, the animation is how the elements that he draws, like sketches with the little device, they never look like they're really part of the surrounding world. They look like kind of doodles, like haphazard doodles come to life. So when he draws his his uh, superhero suit on, the suit itself looks like it was kind of scribbled on him, but his face and hands and things that are part of the real world are still look normal, like still look like everything else in the world. So That's it's interesting. Kind of, it, it's kind of cool. Is there, just as a quick question, is there something about this anthology that makes it special? I, I mean, is are they all directors that were trying to, to make it? Are they famous directors that wanted to go out on a limb? One of them is a famous director, and I will get to him. Okay. Because he's, he's great. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, no, actually, I will get into that. Um, and this basically serves as a sizzle reel for F- Studio 4C. Yeah, but by the okay. way, I'm watching what you're what you just described with the hearts eating the hearts and yeah yeah i love how this looks yeah it's cool isn't it it looks really great but it doesn't mean shit (laughs) (laughs) it's just cool looking but anyway i think that despite its issues and kind of it has an ending that feels a little bit tacked on um and that's a problem that a lot of short films have in general is how how do you end a short film right um but i think it proves to be too charming to dislike and it's among the better segments in genius party however the next one Death Tick 4 is kind of cute but grotesque and it breaks up the mostly traditional animation that fills out the rest of the anthology so we are introduced to a world full of zombies and monsters living kind of run of the mill day to day existences kind of boring lives when a strange storm brings a living frog to this morbid place and a zombie boy finds the frog and recruits his friends to help him return the frog to the living world before it's discovered and killed uh, it's a really, it's interestingly animated uh, because Shinji Kimura appears to have digitized hand-drawn textures and layered them over computer animated characters and backgrounds to create a world that exists visually somewhere between CG animation, claymation, and traditional animation. It's really strange looking, but kind of interesting at the same time. Outside of action sequences, the frame rate does suffer uh, in a way that is similar to claymation um, frame rate and the stop and go vibe doesn't really work quite the way it does in claymation and ultimately ends up being distracting the story's kind of derivative um, and, you know of course it's about the subjectivity of life and whether it's worth protecting and all that kind of stuff but 
it it's nowhere near as successful as kind of its stylistic cousins by filmmakers like Tim Burton and Henry Selleck. It is very Burton-esque. Um, but um, yeah, I was not uh, too much of a fan of this. Oh, I, for- wow. <laughs> I forgot to review these individually. Should I review all of them individually well, at the end and then yeah, do the average? So. Okay. I'm looking at I'm still watching this, the first episode, quote unquote, that you yeah. talked about with the, with the hearts. Yeah, yeah. And this thing that grew out of one of the little ball guys looks... It looked an awful lot like the forest spirit at night. Oh, yeah. The nighttime forest, yeah, forest d- spirit yeah, from, from does, Princess yeah. Mononoke. A, a question. Sure. I noticed that Genius Party, the first part of this anthology, is only five minutes. How long are most of these? Uh, they vary in length from five to 15. The longest one is about 20 minutes. They're, they're a two okay, so they're true short films oh, yeah. okay. uh, on all accounts. Yeah. So All of them are shorter than an episode of... of a series. So it's it's perfect for for you anime watchers out there who have ADT and can't decide what you want to exactly. watch for the evening. And it, it's also good for you know you can space out your consumption of it um, very easily. Uh, but yeah, yeah, recommended for that for sure. Uh, the next segment is called Doorbell, uh, and it was directed by a comic book artist, by a manga artist um, named Yoji Fukuyama. And it tells the story of a high school student who must outrun ghostly clones of himself to his daily pedestrian destinations. If the apparitions beat him, they commandeer his life, making him the ostensibly real version invisible to his friends and family. So he has what to, the hell? He has to outrun his own ghost like back home from school or to school or wherever he's going. And if he doesn't beat this ghost version, the ghost version of him is the one that his family and his friends see. Can I just have a moment and go shadow link? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. And so he'll walk up and he'll knock on the door after his ghost version has gotten there first and they'll open the, the, you know, whoever's living there opens the door and they can't see him and then he looks inside and sees that he's already there but it's not the real him. You know, so to speak. But this is, this is really, really interestingly animated. I kind of love how this short looks. Because perhaps more than any animated film I've ever seen, Doorbell is noticeably the work of a manga artist, and here's why. Fukuyama, who had only worked in comics prior to this project, this is the first animated thing he's had a hand in, has made a distinctly static animated film. It's impeccably framed and kinetically stunted, and the segment is an excellent example of how a medium can perform outside your limited expectations for that medium. Not above or below them, mind you. Not not above or below your expectations, but in a different space than you might envisage given the chosen art form. Now, this is not to say that the short is a series of unmoving images or still frames or anything like that. Rather, the shots that the director chooses to linger on define what the audience will take away from an experience when it cuts to black. In much the same way you experience a comic book. You know, you, you see these frames, the, the, the standout frames. A comic book is basically a series of, of, of keyframes, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and that's what this, this short does is it, it lingers on those keyframes. Not to say that the rest of it is not animated, but so it, it gives that feeling of... They highlight the keyframes and sort of brush quickly over the in-between animations? In a way, yeah, in a way. And, and it does kind of have a distinctly comic book-esque feel. Okay. Which is really interesting. Um it's kind of a it ends up being kind of a cogent allegory for self-improvement the story does and it it is a standout in this collection i enjoyed this one quite a bit oh the next one oh oh, lord help me the next one's called limit cycle you have strong be strong be strong i want you to do something real quick i want you to go to a and n and i want you to type in limit cycle into the into the the search and, and let me know what you see when it comes up 
So I wish I could give you a summary of Hideki Futamura's limit cycle, but the absence of any semblance of a narrative structure makes that impossible. I would, it looks like a, yan- a Yankee high school boy. R- scroll down to the, to the, do you see the ratings? Yeah, it were pretty god-awful. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, it's in the bottom 50 of all time. Well, have fun with this one. So I wish I could tell you about the characters of this piece and how they grow and change, or at least how the world changes around them, but that's pretty hard to do when there aren't any characters. I wish I could in- initiate a conversation on how the segment utilizes its animation in a way that's unique or interesting or beautiful, but it doesn't. Limit, di- limit cycle can only be described as a long-winded, self-important musing on God versus the self and individualism versus hive mind. Its points are not, not really coherent and read more like kind of throw it at the wall and see what sticks poetry than the essay that I think it wants to be. Uh, it begins with vivid, aggressive sequences loose, over loosely related narration, and eventually we are given biblical illustrations that just kind of fly toward the camera in lieu of the interesting, if pointless, animations that we were treated to at the outset. Oh, that's fun. This is like something I s- that you might see after you take LSD. It's, yeah. it's Wow, this it's is what the just, Beatles saw when they wrote all their music. It's just awful. It's unsuccessful in just in just about every way, and it's and it's unmerciful at almost twenty minutes long. It's the long it's among the longest pieces in this anthology. Wow. It was trying way too hard. Oh, it's it, amazing! It had, like the first it has one, a lot of try hard in it. <laughs> I'm, I've been kind of skipping through these a little bit, and so far the first one you talked about has interested me the most, and that's before the credits. Yeah, uh, it, it or before the title screen. It's basically just an intro. That's oh, that's kind of sad. Uh, you you should I'll, I'll I'll break down which ones I think should be watched when we get to the end how many of these are there seven and i just did the fifth one so okay uh the next one is called happy machine and this is masaki yuasa's uh film and it follows a baby as he discovers that his nursery and everything in it including his caretakers are artificial what follows is kind of a grand that sounds actually pretty cool yeah it is it is it is really cool actually um you know what that reminds me of uh uh Tezuka Osamu's uh, Phoenix, the movie. The uh, movie yeah. starts out with a baby in like a, I don't know, pod thing, mm. and all of the caretakers are, are electronic, and it's about his relationship with that electronic world. It's it's pretty psychedelic. Um, I, I would liken it to Patrick Reed Johnson's Baby's Day Out if it had been written based on an LSD fueled fever dream. Are you familiar with Baby's Day Out? It's a live-action film from I've seen it many years ago. A yeah. lot, long time ago. Yeah, I, I actually the like baby's that like movie. crawling around and like construction equipment and yeah, crap. It's a good movie. <laughs> oh, you, oh, you think so? I, I do. It's actually, it's actually quite good. <laughs> uh, anyway, but the, you know the color, the color palette, and the designs are really simple, and the animation is very fluid. Um, it's easily one of the most visually interesting and beautiful shorts in in this uh, collection. Uh, it has kind of a dynamic elemental motif that guides the aberrant narrative as the baby encounters various creatures with the most with kind of the visual and functional flourishes of fire, water, air, earth, and metal. And I think the short's weakness is its pacing, which it, it disrupts its own message about the cyclical nature of life um, near the end when the baby is nearly consumed by a giant plant while trying to save one of his new friends. And in an awkward time skip, we cut to the baby as an old man walking through the desert. And then uh, the old man uh, finds what is ostensibly the happy machine, the titular happy machine, uh, which looks like a big metal person. And he old, the old man enters it and finds a new baby crying in a dark, empty version of the fake nursery that he himself came from. 
So he goes back outside the contraption and enters it uh, in a different way, which looks like it, it. he sacrifices himself to power up the machine and give the baby its artificial nursery back. So it's kind of cyclical in nature. Um, and one interesting is that the final, the final title card reads Tsugi, uh, which is not the Japanese word for end, of course, but rather the word for next. So I think that's interesting. But now I get to talk about the one I really want to talk about. The one that Yay. everyone wants to talk about. Which is what? Because I want to pick pull it up. Uh, this is called Baby Blue. And it is written and directed by none other than Shinichiro Watanabe. Who Uh-oh. Of oh, snap. Is it going to have cowboys in it? No. Is no, it going to no have... Is it gonna no have blues? Is it gonna have spicy music by uh, Yoko Kano? It, I don't know who did the music for this actually. Oh my god, what's wrong with me? But the music is great, actually, <laughs> of course. Um, but yeah, so at the at the beginning of this short, Watanabe posits a hypothetical. He says, "What if we forget about today and our futures?" He puts these words in his character's mouth, a high school boy and a high school girl, uh, but he wants the audience to answer the question. Maybe not a what if, but a what would be left. Without today or the future, we are left with the past. The things we do today, whether in service of our fleeting desires or the trajectory of a life that's hopefully well lived when we get to the end of it, those decisions may stay with us forever. And what we disregard today will certainly be remembered tomorrow. Okay, and that, I think that's kind of what he's getting at thematically in this. But let's let's talk about the narrative. The high school students portrayed with amazingly realistically understated performances um, takes this kind of paradoxical manifesto of sorts and plays hooky from school using the money in their pockets at the time of their departure they make for the beach so they reminisce along the way about kind of similar flights of mischief from their childhoods and it's clear that they have a, a rich well well recollected history of forgetting about today you know for the future or the future just to do what we want to do so they steal a bike, they get lost, they outrun a police officer, they end up evading a biker gang with the help of a hand grenade. Yes, you read that what? correct. I know. Yes, that's that's probably the the most out of place scene and it is the most out of place scene in the entire thing. It's the only thing in this that I have a problem with. It's really random and weird. <laughs> How did they did they explain why they just they, Yeah, they do. It's it, I mean, it I guess it makes sense. Basically, when they were children, one of the things they reminisce about is when they were children, they broke into this military facility and they stole a hand grenade. And the boy has kept the hand grenade all these years. And today they're like, today we're not going to let, you know, whatever we consider to be the right decision control what we do. We're just going to live for the moment. And they end up getting stopped by this group of Yankees, like this biker gang. And he's like, I promised myself I wasn't going to let my better judgment you know, control me today, and he, you know, throws a grenade at him. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's the weirdest thing in this, but it's uh, you know, it's surrounded by greatness. So that's I think we can forgive it that. Uh, but they end up they end up at the beach, and they have kind of a solemn conversation uh, about missed opportunities, despite having lived their life together basically since childhood. And the mutual disappointment of never exploring a romantic relationship with one another is really poignant. Uh, with, with the events of the day too recent to see through rose-colored glasses, the could-have-been couple retreats to their homes, and they feel a little lost now, naturally. Now, had I not known that Baby Blue was a product of Shinichiro Watanabe, there's only one other person I would have guessed directed this piece. And Which that is? is Makoto Shinkai. Oh, 
So like the brunt of Shinkai's body of work, this film relies on the audience's understanding of nostalgia to provide emotional resonance. And it even looks like a Shinkai film. It uses these kind of beautifully rendered wide shots of cloudy skies, which are almost a hallmark of that man's films at this point. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would just lens, lens flares, he sunsets. Does, yeah, he exactly. does love his skies. T- totally. Like, and like this film, this short film has that imagery in it. So it, it almost feels like Watanabe was trying to make a Shinkai movie and honestly ended how up doing it. How old is a, this? How how, 2007. How, 2007. I'm just trying to place it on a Shinkai timeline. Um, and honestly, in in trying to make a Shinkai short, or that, or so it seems, I, I think he ends up making a better film than Shinkai has ever made. Ooh. <laughs> I, I'm dead serious about that. No, you're just a hater. So, but here's why. So, unlike Shinkai, Watanabe demonstrates that the characters' feelings of nostalgia can't be dwelled upon too much without making the characters seem inactive, as though in a state of arrested development, which is, I think, a huge problem that Shinkai's characters have. Like through through most of his films, I've only I've only not seen one of his films. So, and that's the Children Who Chase Lost Voices. I think that's the that's least good. One. That's that's the worst one. I have not seen that one, but in the Except others, I think this is consistently with you boys. If Mitsugi doesn't like it, then Kram will think it's one of the best things that she has ever made. I haven't seen it. That's not necessarily. You probably think it's a gen- You probably think it's a masterpiece. That's probably. I don't know about that. I'll have to watch it, but. I'll watch it with you. Well, so instead of this, instead of dwelling on these, this this nostalgia, this sadness, this kind of melancholy, Watanabe conveys that time spent together recalling the quote-unquote good old days will be indiscriminately reminisced about in years to come. So instead of you know saying, oh, the things we used to do are so much better than the things we do now, just having that conversation itself will be like, oh, remember when we used to talk about the things that we used to do? Like it's it's all it all will become the past at some point, and it will all be nostalgic at some point, regardless. So it's kind of a, a bittersweet reality that we can't see how happy we are today until we reflect on it as a bygone age. So the nostalgic overtones don't define the film like they tend to do in Shinkai's work, but alternately enhance Watanabe's message about the nature of the emotion. The film draws to a close in a scene with an extremely low frame rate as though sequenced with a series of photographs which are perhaps the ultimate symbol of happy recollection. And I, I think that like thematically it is amazingly consistent and incredibly well done. So basically getting back to my question about whether or not these need to be seen together as a whole or individually, I think there is no need for them to be seen together. There's no narrative, thematic, or creative through line connecting the seven films. Uh, and the fact that five more films were originally intended to be included in this collection, and they were later released as Gen- uh, Genius Party Beyond, it speaks volumes about the importance or lack thereof of sequence with these stories. Uh, the only shared element between these productions is where the animation was produced, which is, of course, Studio 4C. And in this light, it feels less like a creative boundary for a group of artists to work within, as seen in films like, like other anthology films like Tokyo or Paris Jatem or, or uh, sorry, Paris Jatem, and more like uh, a sizzle reel for the production studio. So I assume the title refers to the filmmakers. I think it's a pretty presumptuous title, don't you think? <laughs> Genius Party? <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> I assume that it refers to the filmmakers, but the pervasiveness of modesty in Japanese culture makes that a little hard to swallow, so I'm not sure where where the title's coming from or where it's going. Um, in any case, however you decide to watch these shorts, whether to completion in their collected order or independently, I don't think it'll, it'll affect your experience at all. So going back through, um, the first one, the opener, Genius Party, I would give probably a 2.5. It's, it's all right. The opener? Yeah. 
Wow. It's a 2.5. It, it, I mean, it's beautiful and strange and kinetic, but, and it has great music, but it doesn't have anything to say. It's just, look how weird and cool this looks. Um, and it doesn't provide anything for the other films to follow suit with. So, you know, the fact that it shares the title of the entire anthology is pointless, really. Uh, Shanghai Dragon, I would give a three. Uh, Death Tick 4, I would give a two. Doorbell, I would give a uh, 3.5. Limit Cycle, I would give a one. <laughs> Happy Ma- Happiness Machine, I would actually give a four two. And uh, Shinichiro Watanabe's Baby Blue, I would give a 4.5. Oh, snap. So now we can't have like seven animes in the database. Right. Uh, so I average, it averages to a three. So okay. Genius Party altogether gets a three somethings, three balls of stone with faces that have hearts and flowers that come out of their heads out of five. But you would say Baby Blue is definitely a must watch. You've got to watch it. Um, of all the films in this, I would say that everyone should watch Baby Blue, Happiness Machine. Um, I would say Doorbell and Shanghai Dragon as well. So four out of the seven, I th- I'd say that's pretty good. That's More not than 50%. bad. Yeah. But that's right. it. I'm done. Well, that was an... an I think I think that was a great episode. Not not to to fluff our own pillows, but I think we did a great job on that episode. I agree. I'm gonna fluff my own pillow. We we did we did we did good. <laughs> this was once again episode 194 of the Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast. You can find us at aapodcast.com, iTunes. Don't forget to drop us a rating on iTunes, especially if you like us. Facebook.com forward slash Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast. Twitter.com forward slash AAA podcast and where we broadcast live every Saturday night at 9.30 p.m. EST, Ustream.tv. But if you can remember, AAAPodcast.com, you can find links to all of those on our main site. As always, thank you guys for joining us in the chat. Chatty audience today. Our our show is, is that much better when you guys are here. Taking us out tonight is the song Jumping. From the anime Kinido Mosaic by the artist Rodanthe. Rodanthe? Something like that. Doesn't matter. Oh my god. <laughs> sure they appreciate that. Well, this song already sounds kind of annoying, so. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, everybody. Bye bye. See you guys next week.
that the show is over, don't forget to sign up for your free trial of Hulu Plus. Hulu Plus lets you binge on thousands of hit shows anytime, anywhere, on your TV, PC, smartphone, or tablet. Support this podcast and get an extended free trial of Hulu Plus when you go to HuluPlus.com forward slash anime. That's HuluPlus.com forward slash anime.